All right, in just a few moments here this morning, would you follow along with me as I read from 1 Samuel chapter 23 for us? I'm only going to read the first 14 verses of this chapter. There's actually, besides the one I'm reading for us, a second story in uh, this chapter, similar to the first one, but a little bit different. And it describes the way in which God protected and provided for David. Uh, in the center of the chapter is a section that I preached on uh, one Sunday evening, and it is a place where Jonathan, when David is in the wilderness, comes to meet David and to encourage him, encourage him in the purposes of God for David's life and encourage him in the promises of God, which brings us now back to this first section that I'm going to read for us. And the introduction is simply this, that David continues to be here pursued by Saul. Uh, last week, when we looked at the chapter prior to this one, we saw that in that pursuit, there is much collateral destruction that takes place as Saul's anger grows, as his suspicions grow. And he wiped out an entire city, a priestly city of Nob as a result of that. This week, we see God's hand of help upon David and upon his men. So hear this portion then of God's holy word beginning at verse 1 of chapter 23. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he came down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. 
when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. And this morning, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear. Lord, we're not here just to, to be here and hear nice things, but we're here to have your word impact our lives and impact our hearts. And so, Spirit of God, you who authored it, you who preserved it, you who brought it to us today, and even now we pray that you would minister it into us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the great prophet, the one who has declared the word of God. We pray it in his name. Amen. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. That is David's declaration in the face of danger. Psalm 54 is ascribed to the second story that takes place in this chapter, but it applies to this entire chapter, this entire section of David's life as well. And that verse that I quoted for us just as we began there, that verse is right at the center of that psalm. For all who are in Christ, for all who trust in him, we with David can make this declaration. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Think of it this morning as a coat or a cloak in which we are wrapped, by which we are enclosed and surrounded, that is clasped tightly about us. This cloak, this assurance of the helping hand of God, of the upholding of our life by the Lord. And then, remember when you were a child, or perhaps your children do this right now, but remember how as a child, you would sometimes put on your parents' clothing. And you would put it on for fun. And as you put it on, you saw that all of it was too big for you, that it hung off of you, that it actually served as some kind of an encumbrance to your ability to move. But it was fun to have on a big coat or a big set of clothes. David is growing into the coat of God's help and God's protection on his life. If you want to think of it with respect to this book, the book of 1 Samuel, we have actually seen this from the very opening pages of this book. From, from, from the little robes that each year Hannah would bring to Samuel to have him grow into the role that God would have him be in, to the first time that Jonathan and David covenant together. And in that time, Jonathan strips off his royal clothing, he takes off his robe, he takes off his belt, he takes off his sword, he takes off his armor, and he gives it to David. And David is now growing into these things, growing into his confidence in God, and growing into what that clothing also represents, growing into the calling that he has from God 
as well. God's evident care and trust in that care, that's the big embrace. That, that's the cloak of this chapter. It is to say that God is with David and protecting David. God is wrapped around him. David's growth is learning that he can trust in that, even as a fugitive. It's one thing to trust when things are going well. It's another thing to trust as a fugitive. And, and, and not, only, not only can he trust in it, but he can also act in accord with God's care and God's protection in his life. That's what we see in this episode that is before us this morning. David operating within the conviction of God being his helper and God being the upholder of his life. So if you want to boil this down, try and get this down to its essence, what we see here is David practicing, working out, striving towards growing into this simple profundity. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Whether you are in favor, in the court, and everybody thinks you're great, and your name is being praised, or whether you're out of favor and on the run and considered a fugitive and a king is seeking your life. All right, let's see what we can learn specifically as we look at the event that is before us today. So as we begin this chapter, there are people who come to David with a very particular concern. And we read about it there in verse 1. Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. So, as we have seen happen throughout the history of this book, throughout the history of God's people, the people are in a particular place, and the enemies of God are coming in and raiding that place, taking the, uh, the, the, the wheat from the threshing floor after it's been harvested and taken care of. And, and David, by this point in his life, and we've seen this already in the book, is accustomed to fighting for Israel. He is accustomed to fighting against the enemies of God, and Philistines in particular, right? I mean, we've already seen that. Uh, they write songs about this, right? They, they, David's famous for this already. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. But that was done under orders from the king. The king had given the direction, had provided the, the authorization for David to do exactly that on Israel's behalf. Saul had set him as a commander over the armies and sent him out. And sometimes when Saul did that, Saul did that because he saw that David was having great success. And of course, other times when Saul did that, he did that in hopes that David would get caught up in the warfare and wouldn't come out of a particular battle. But nevertheless, it was under the direction of Saul. What now? What do you do now? There's no king to commission you. You've heard of a problem that in the past you would have taken care of because that was the charge that you had from the king. What do you do now when you're faced with this 
situation. David takes a beautiful step that is appropriate to all of God's people in every situation. When you don't know what to do, when you do know what to do, he inquired of the Lord. He, he went to the Lord. He sought the Lord's will. He doesn't presume. He doesn't assume he knows what the right thing to do is. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He acts in the way that James describes a Christian acting in James chapter 4, the passage that we read earlier. He doesn't say, well, let's just go to such and such town, take care of the Philistines here, and we'll make a profit doing that, and we'll go to another town the next day. David basically says, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, is it the will of the Lord that I should go and deliver this people and this particular city from the hand of the Philistines? Now, back in chapter 22, just a chapter prior to this, if you'll recall it at the beginning of the chapter, we saw David caring for his parents by taking them to Moab where they would be safe while he was a fugitive on the run. And he says to the king of Moab, would you take care of my parents until I see what the Lord will do for me? It's the same kind of disposition there. That's the same kind of thing that we see here as well. David himself recognizing that he's a man who needs to seek the will of God. And both of these situations reveal to us an attitude, a, a character of David that's growing, a conscience conscious, willful dependency on God. David cannot get his marching orders from King Saul. And so what he does, I can't get them from King Saul, is he goes to the king of kings. Hey, if you can't get them from this earthly king right here, you go to the king of kings and he looks for direction from the king of kings about what he, a servant of the king, should do in a particular situation. He inquires of the Lord four times in the passage that is before us this morning. And I think it's worthwhile for us to spend a few moments here asking the question, how does David do this? How does he seek the will of God here? How does he understand the will of God and what it applies to us and what doesn't apply to us? Because obviously the circumstances are different for us between us and David. So here's what I'd like to do as we look at these four times that David inquires of the Lord. I want to start with the second half of the passage first because that's a little bit clearer and then we'll move up to the first half. In, in verse 6 of our passage, we read of the arrival of Abiathar. Abiathar, by way of reminder, is the priest, the one priest who survived the massacre at Nob. And Abiathar comes to David here in Keilah, and he brings with him the ephod. Now, we have seen the ephod in different parts of 1 Samuel and in different parts of the Old Testament, but, but by way of reminder, the ephod was a garment that would be worn by the high priest over other garments, and attached to the ephod was the Urim and the Thummim. Now, we don't know exactly how all of this worked, but the point of the ephod and the point of the Urim and the Thummim 
And the priests using those things was the ability to discern the will of God in a particular circumstance. What does God want us to do? It wasn't so much about figuring out what the moral will of God is, but the directional will of God. What should we do? And so David employs Abiathar in exactly this way to discern what the will of God is. David wants to know if Saul will attack and if the men of Keilah are going to give him up or not. Now, that could sound strange to us, but just to put the, the setting a little bit clear here, why would people who have just been delivered by David give him up to Saul? Well, the answer is it's one thing to know the Philistines are your enemy. If you're Israel, you understand the Philistines are your enemy. But if David has become your savior, the deliverer of your city, your city is now lumped in with David. And that puts you at risk. It puts you at risk not only from the Philistines, but it puts you at risk from Saul, who has a tendency to get angry at anybody who associates with David. So you can understand with that, you know, why it might be that the inhabitants are going to say, David, thanks very much, but you're trouble. You, you are going to, you're going to bring trouble to us in our particular place. In any case, that's the inquiry of the Lord that he makes. And, and David here in this second part inquires through the priest who functions as a mediator, as an intercessor on David's behalf before the Lord to give him this answer. Now, in the first part of the passage, so that's what takes place in the second part, in the first part of the passage, David asks if he should attack the Philistines and receives word from the Lord. He asks the question twice. He receives word from the Lord twice. But we don't know how he asked or how he heard from God that this was, in fact, what he should do, that he should go and deliver the city. I'm going to give you three possibilities for what may have taken place there. In the first place, it is completely possible that David directly prayed to the Lord, asked him these questions, uh, should I go and deliver the city? And he heard a response audibly from the Lord that this is what you should do. You should go and save the city. You should go and fight against them because I'm going to deliver them in your hand. That's a possibility. We wouldn't discount it. It has happened to God's people in the past. But Given the context that is around this, I, I'm a little doubtful that that's actually the way that it took place in this first section. I'll give you two other possibilities. One possibility is that he inquired of the Lord through Abiathar. That in verse 6, Abiathar's coming to David is not the first time that David had come, but instead it's coming to David to Keilah, where David and his men are located, and then uh, and, and, and in this case, Abiathar would have already been with them, and so the means by which he sought the will of the Lord would have been the same means by which he had done it earlier uh, through Abiathar using the ephod and the urim and the thummim. But I'll give you one other option as well. And the other option is that he may have sought and inquired of the Lord through the prophet Gad. Earlier in chapter 22, we read this uh, in, in verse 5. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. We read later in 2 Samuel that Gad becomes a seer for David. 
that Gad was, Gad was a person with David that David could consult about the will of the Lord, about the word of the Lord. So it's possible that the prophet Gad is the means by which David makes this inquiry. Now, whatever the case may be, whatever the, whatever the means by which this took place, what we see here is David asking of the Lord for specific direction and receiving from the Lord answers with respect to those inquiries. So he receives from the Lord direction as the Lord is the king of kings from, from Gad, at least in chapter 22, a prophet who declares to him the word of God, and from Abiathar, a priest who, using the means appointed to him, likewise proclaims to him the word of God and the will of God. So the king of kings gives answers through a prophet and through a priest. What about us? Okay, wh what about us? We know we're called to pray. We know that as the people of God, we are called to seek after the will of God and to walk in the ways of God. But while uh, I, your pastor, I do own a robe, I, I wear the robe for special occasions. Uh, it's not an ephod, and I don't have an urim, and I don't have a, a thummim by which we can say, is it the will of the Lord that we should do this or do that particular thing? What we do have as the people of God living now in the new covenant is the call to walk submissively, dependently, faithfully, prayerfully in the word of God as it has been revealed to us, as it has been given to us. We ought not, and I know it's tempting sometimes to wish that you had an Abiathar around or that you had a Gad around that you could ask a particular question to. Lord, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Which school should I go to? Should I go up? Should I go down? What should I do? We don't mourn, or we, at least we should not mourn, the fact that we don't have Gad or Abiathar or someone like them because we, in fact, have Jesus. We have the King of Kings who is the prophet who declares to us the word of God and who is the high priest. And as a result of his intercession, which is what he is doing on our behalf right at this moment, we with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. David had mediated access through those guys. You have direct access. Direct access to the Lord Jesus Christ and through him to his Father. The Lord gives us his word, and in his word, as the people of God living now, he gives to us guidance about how we discern the will of God, about how we figure out what the right thing to do is, and then he gives us freedom. Guidance and freedom so that in that we walk faithfully before him. What David had in these men was good, and what we have is better. All right, so, so in the event, here's what we have. David hears of the need that exists in Keilah, and he cares. He cares. 
about what is going on there. He doesn't hear and dismiss it. He cares about it. He seeks guidance from the Lord. And then having received that guidance from the Lord, having received the guidance from the Lord that essentially says to him, this is the right thing to do, he does it. He does it. David acts in accord with the will of God and saves the city. And David acts in accord with the will of God and escapes the city. He does the will of God. James 4, 4 verse 17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. For whoever knows what the good thing is to do, who knows what the beautiful thing is to do, to put this positively, do it. If you fail to do it, it's a sin. If you know it, if you know what's good and what the Lord requires of you, then the Lord says, do that. Do exactly that good thing. Last week we noted that we're not going to overcome all of the evil in this world, and we certainly can't do all the good that there is to do in this world, but we can do something. David, when he heard the news about the city, could have said, that's not my call. There was a time in my life when I was under the command of the king, that was my call, that was my responsibility, but now, that's not my responsibility. When his men were afraid and pointed out the obvious dangers of this particular raid, he could have stepped away from the situation. He could have said, you know what, that's good counsel. You're right, this is not a good situation. Can't fix everything. We can't step into everything that needs to be done. We'll move back. But he doesn't. He seeks and he understands the will of the Lord. He knew, he discovered, what James calls the right thing to do. As simple as that. God said, this is what I want you to do. He knew the right thing to do, and he stepped into it. He stepped into it. He leaned into the will of God. He leaned into the doing of that which is good. He cared enough about the people and the situation to say, this may be a risk to me and my men, but the Lord says he's going to be with me. The Lord says he's going to be my helper. The Lord is going to be the upholder of my life. And he steps in. And he does what God has called him to do. And in so doing, he reveals his heart. He's a man after God. And as a man after God, what he does is he seeks the welfare of other people. You can put it as simply as this. What is David doing here? Loving his neighbor. That's what he's doing. He's doing good to his neighbor. He sees his neighbor in a time of need. He seeks the will of the Lord. The Lord says, go and deliver your neighbor. And he goes and he does good for the sake of his neighbor. He embraces David, his unique calling. He's the king in waiting. And kings conquer, and kings deliver from enemies. And David employs his own gifts as a leader 
as a commander, as a warrior, and he deploys his resources. He uses Abiathar, and he deploys his men to do what is good. David Firth summarizes this chapter very simply. This chapter assures readers of the certainty of God's promises, and yet ties these into the need to do God's will. Assures of the promises and ties them into the need to do God's will. Now, I trust that it's clear to us, right, that this is not a call for us to take up arms and to go deliver as a church some city that exists in Israel or some city that exists in the U.S. That's not our calling as a church. That calling to take up arms and do that was also not the calling of the King of Kings, was not the calling of Jesus our Lord. But he did go to various towns. And when he was in one town, he would say, I need to leave and go to another town because that is why I came. I came not only to deliver this town from oppression, but I came to deliver others as well. How? How did he do it? By preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and by deeds of love and of kindness and of mercy that bore witness to the veracity of the words that he preached and to the person that he was. That's how he came and delivered cities. And ultimately, Jesus didn't deliver cities by his physical overcoming of the enemies of that city. He, he delivered cities by offering himself, by suffering himself on behalf of the people in those cities. That is how we overcome evil with good. Jesus then put that mantle upon his mighty men. David had his mighty men. Jesus had his and he put the mantle upon them, and they have placed it upon us. He clothed them, he clothed us with the power of his spirit. He clothed us with the promise, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. But he didn't just clothe us in that and say, now hunker down and stay here. He clothed us with that and then clothe us with the mission that goes along with the clothing that we have received. Go, make disciples, teach, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The marching orders are given. They're given. The cloak that surrounds us is given. It is provided for us. It is now for us to grow into it, to walk into it. May we continue 
as a people of God to grow into that mantle, that coat that has been worn by others before us. Confident in God's care, we respond to that confidence of God's care by embracing the calling that we have to do that which is good in this town and the neighborhoods in which each of us live. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that, to walk in these ways, these your ways, to know what is the right thing to do and then to do it. We thank you for the strength, the power that you have given to your people to be able to do exactly that. We pray that that would be our trust as we seek after your will for our lives and that you would then enable us to walk well after you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you'll uh, turn to...